I'm jumping in with a quick message that I've added to all HR Coffee Time episodes to let you know that my group programme, Inspiring HR, is back. In case you haven't heard of it before, it's an intensive six-week programme for mid and senior level HR and people professionals. So if you're an HR business partner, HR manager, head of HR or HR director, or the people equivalent, so a people business partner, people manager, head of people or people director, and you'd like to build your confidence, your credibility and your impact at work, Inspiring HR could be perfect for you. We get started on Wednesday the 5th of June 2024 when we'll be meeting up over Zoom for two hours every week. The group sessions are a blend of group coaching, training and facilitation. They're supportive, encouraging and practical and each week has a slightly different focus. So in week one, we look at setting yourself up for success. Week two is about boosting your confidence. Week three focuses on being strategic in your role. Week four is all about building key relationships. Week five takes a deep dive into influencing at a senior level and the final week looks at planning for the future. There's a link with the full details in the show notes for you or you can learn more by going to my website, Bright Sky Career Coaching, clicking on services and then clicking on Inspiring HR Group Programme. I would love to have you join us and to get to know you throughout the programme. But if you have any questions about Inspiring HR at all, please feel free to ask by getting in touch through the website and I would be very happy to answer them for you. Welcome to episode 18 of HR Coffee Time, the podcast to help you have a successful and fulfilling HR career without having to work yourself into the ground. If we haven't met before, I'm Faye Wallace. I'm a career coach and outplacement specialist with a background in HR, and I'm also the host of this podcast. In this episode, you'll be hearing from Karen Moran, one of the founders of a fantastic company called Disruptive HR. Karen generously shares her views and insights on the future of HR, and she explains how to get rid of outdated practices and future-proof your career, by changing your approach and building your skills. So if you want to be more strategic, be taken seriously, and to be appreciated for all that you do at work, I think you're going to love this episode. So Karen, welcome to the show. It's so wonderful to have you here today. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. And before we dive in and start talking about the future of HR, it would be fantastic if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and also about the story of disruptive HR. Okay, I will do that. So, well, I'm a, um, an ex-HR practitioner, if you like. So I've spent my whole career in HR roles in various sectors. So I've worked in telecoms, professional services, and then my most recent role was at the BBC. And then I met Lucy Adams, who's my the co-founder of Disruptive HR. We worked together at a law firm and the BBC. It was about six years ago. And we were very frustrated, if you like, by 
what we felt was the lack of impact we were having in our roles in HR. And, you know, when you don't feel so proud of your profession and we thought that's just such a shame because really it should be one of the best professions in the world. You know, we're really able to impact how people feel about work and that's such an important thing so we got our heads together and said right what are we going to do about this and we decided that we wanted to be the type of consultancy that we wished we'd had access to when we were in busy HR roles and you know we felt that at the time when we were in HR there wasn't a lot of support out there there was a lot of support in terms of legislation, writing policies, but nothing that was really very progressive. So we decided that that's what we wanted to do. So we set Disruptive HR up and uh, we've been going for six years, as I said, so all good. Great, thanks, Karen. And I know that as well as the consultancy work that you do through Disruptive HR, you also have something called the Disruptive HR Club. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, yeah, sure. So, uh, so we do a number of things at Disruptive HR. And when we first started out, it was much more around keynotes, in-house workshops for HR teams, workshops with leaders. And we realised that because there was only two of us um, and, you know, we seem to be very popular because there's not many people like us out there. And we realized that in order to grow as a business, we would need to start thinking down the product line. So we set up uh, the Disruptive HR Club. It's been going for about two years now. And the idea is that it's a sort of like an online portal, if you like, where you can go as a HR person and get some inspiration ideas about doing HR differently. So we cover kind of all the kind of key HR topics. So onboarding, talent management, performance management, et cetera. And the spin on it is that we look at where we can find examples of organizations that are doing things differently so that we can kind of help inspire HR people. So the club is, oh, we've got about probably 4,000 members now, from all around the world, from every sector, and it's just taken off. So we're very excited about that. So it's somewhere to go and get support. We run live webinars, uh, probably one or two a month. We have case studies on there, infographics. You know, we make things kind of look very much more appealing about how to do HR differently and small suggestions about things that you can try in your workplace. It also has a very vibrant chat room because, again, I think it's really great for HR people sometimes they don't want to hear from us because they might say well that's all very good in theory but how do I make this work in my organization and so the chat room is an ability where they can actually talk to each other and get suggestions and ideas so we might have someone saying we really want to get rid of annual appraisals Uh, we're thinking about doing this has anybody tried it so you know you've got that kind of resource of hearing what other people are doing So, yes, so that's the club. Um, We've got, uh, you know, you can do a little trial. So you can try before you buy. Um, We have a lot of people that probably fund themselves to be individual members on there. Not as an, and we don't want to see ourselves as an an alternative to organisations like the CIPD, but in addition, some cultural support help um, in change management. And then we have, some teams on there as well so people can buy corporate team membership for it as little as a hundred pounds per person for team membership so very worthwhile if you're a hrd and you're looking to kind of give your hr team some support and development so yeah that's the club 
Brilliant. Thank you for explaining it. And for anyone listening who thinks, ooh, I want to do a free trial, how can they go about and do that? Well, they would probably need to uh, get in touch with us. So you can literally just send an email to hello at disruptivehr.com and we will give you a little coupon. Brilliant. Thank you. Okay. And I think it's probably time that we move on to the main part of the discussion, which is all about the future of HR. So I'm going to start off by asking you, well, I know that you think traditional HR needs to change and you touched on this a little bit in our introduction, but do you want to tell us a little bit more about why you think traditional HR needs to change? Yeah, of course. So I guess what I would do here is think about my experience of being in what I would class as a very traditional HR team. And when I look back on my kind of my career and if I was to sum it up, I would say the first problem was that we were very process orientated. So we'd have a challenge and our first thought would be, oh gosh, we better create a process or a rule. Uh, So we need better performance. We need a performance management process. And we would get that feeling that, you know, we've done, you know, we've managed to get appraisal forms completed or we've managed to get all the nine box grids for talent management completed without thinking about whether or not we were having the desired impact. I can remember, for example, when I was at the BBC, I would literally be patting myself on the back saying, oh, you know, look, we've got 90 percent completion of appraisal forms aren't I wonderful? Um, And then actually thinking back and thinking, God, did I actually stop to think about how the process felt for the end user? So how was the employee feeling after their appraisal? Were they feeling energetic, excited? Were they feeling they could perform better? And probably I would say they mostly weren't. Um, So now when I look at a problem or a challenge, I don't think about a process. I think what is the outcome that we're looking for and start from that point, knowing that the chances are a new process is never going to be the answer. The second problem I think with traditional HR is that we tend to have a very parental approach. Again, I was guilty of this. So we fall into that role of being asked to create rules and processes for our people to follow. So we're either being the caring parent where we want to do everything for them and look after them. So it comes from a good place. But of course, we're stopping people from using their own judgment, um, where, of course, in today's world, we want people to be using their own initiative, their own judgment. And also, we're worried that people will break the rules. Uh, So someone somewhere does something wrong. And we think, oh, my God, we can never let that happen again. And so we jump to create this kind of process. And I think the problem with that is that we are preventing our leaders from developing their skills in using their own judgment and our people's skills in developing their own judgment, because they've always had HR to fall back on to ask, you know, what's the policy on this or what's the answer to this? And of course, that's not right in today's world. And then another problem I see with traditional HR is the silos that we create. You know, we have typical auric model so you'll have silos of centers of expertise and then you'll have your business partners and the business partners will be moaning about centers of expertise because they don't feel that what they're talking about is relevant to their business area the coes are saying oh my god the business partners have all gone native so you have this real friction between the two 
And then you have those kind of other functions within HR, like learning and development, internal comms, recruitment, who kind of don't want to be tarred with the same brush as compliance police. So they creep backwards, keep themselves to themselves. And then we chuck in things like, oh, we're going to have an employee experience team or a transformation project team creating, again, another silo. So I think silos in HR, we love a silo, is a real problem in the way that we work. And then I'd probably say the final description for me of a traditional HR team and why it's a problem is our skills gap. We know that still too much of our time in HR is being spent on transactional activities, on operations. And in one breath, we're saying to business partners, you need to be more strategic, but we've left nowhere for the, the admin's got to be done. We've left nowhere for it to go. And we've always said things like, you know, in order to be a business partner, you have to have had three years employee relations experience. And then, of course, we end up with HR business partners that are great at employee relations, but then don't necessarily have the skills, which mean they can be more commercial, more influential facilitation skills, etc. And then we wonder why they lack uh, credibility and influence. So I think that for me, that sums up the kind of the problems with the traditional HR team. I could go on forever, but <laughs> I'll stop with that. We'll start with that. That's quite a lot to start with, isn't it? And I think in my former HR career, I can definitely see I was guilty of lots of the things you were saying there. I think probably particularly the nurturing parents where you just sort of feel like you want to take care of people and then it's actually quite disempowering. Yeah, yes. Coming from a good place. So having heard what's wrong with HR, if we're looking to the future then, what is your approach, how do you think that we can fix this? What are the skills that we need to be developing? I think the mindset shift is the most important because you're never gonna get HR people that have all the skills, but I think if they have the right mindset, they're in a great place because we're not expecting perfection. So I, so in, when we first set up Disruptive HR, we came up with a, a kind of, I don't even wanna call it a model because it's not a theoretical model. It's a framework, if you like. It's a lens for looking at HR and people management. And it's called the EACH model. It stands for Employees, Adults, Consumers and Humans. And we thought that it would be very easy for people to remember it. Um, So the adult, for example, employees as adults is kind of, you know, kind of obvious. So moving away from this parent-child relationship that we have, not being the compliance officer or the nursemaid, we're starting from a position of trust, trusting that you've recruited these people and you assume that they're going to come in and do a good job. If something goes wrong, you deal with that particular person, but not alienate the whole of the organisation, you know, tar them with the same brush. I think it's about us avoiding anything mandatory, which has the kiss of death, encouraging our people to take responsibility for their careers, how they work, where they work, their performance, asking for feedback when they want it, their health and well-being is another example of taking their ownership for that, not putting it on the on the responsibility of the organization to, you know, they're going to look after my health and well-being. How do I look after my health and well-being? How does my leader help me look after my health and well-being? 
And then I think for HR, the biggest area is how we get to help leaders to do it for themselves, because we know that the relationship between the manager and the employee is the most important. So what can we do to help leaders to do it better? Again, not to be perfect, but to do it better. So that's the adult. The employees as consumers is not necessarily about treating your employees as if they were customers but about stealing the techniques that consumer organizations have been using for years. So that means how can we get meaningful data and insight on our people, what they think, what they feel, what they want, and making things more relevant for different people. So because we're all unique, we all one size fits all is no longer working for us. And how can we focus on making the experience for our people as good as it can be you know how do you want people to feel when they come to work for you how do you want them to feel when they come for an interview how do you want them to feel on their first day how do you want them to feel when they're thinking about making a career move sideways all of those kind of feelings how can we create that environment and then finally employees as humans and this is about us moving away from heavy processes, putting people in boxes, rating people, uh, and the jargon that we use. I mean, you know, sometimes, I mean, I could cringe when I look back on some of the things that I've written, emails I've written, and just thinking, God, how does it feel when you're when you're on the other side reading that stuff? So this is about us as a function, being understanding better how human beings think, feel, behave, or are motivated. Not, we don't need to go out and get psychology degrees, but just be interested in why people behave the way that they do. And then design our HR products around that and making sure that the things that we do design, you know, so I use a lot of kind of products rather than services, is uh, it's a mindset shift again, that that's what we are doing. Ultimately, we're designing products for our people, but making sure that when we do, they're very user-friendly, they're intuitive to use, and that people want to use them. You know, I can remember chasing managers to come to train on a, a recruitment system and, you know, really having to battle to get them through the door. Well, if you're having to battle with someone to get them trained up on one of your systems, it's the wrong system, particularly if they don't want to come. So you're not, you know, you can't keep hitting them over the head. You have to look at what you're doing wrong. What, how could you make it more appealing for them? So, yeah, so that's the model that we we like to use um, in disruptive HR because we think it's quite easy. Employees as adults, consumers and humans. I love that acronym of E. <laughs> I'm going to get it wrong now, aren't I? E-S-E-H, each. Each, yeah. Got it. Brilliant. Okay, so if I'm working in HR and I'm listening to you thinking, yep, that's it. I'm having a complete change of mindset or perhaps this is the mindset that I'm in anyway but yeah. ah, how do I actually do it especially yes. if I've got all this <laughs> compliance and I have all of this admin that I've got to do it would be great to hear your view on on how they can actually take some steps forward yeah I mean I don't think it's overnight and we work with so many organizations that are making small changes because when you like you say with the you know the admin overload that's not something it still needs to be done. People still need to get paid and they need to know what to do if they want to go on holiday or they're off sick or whatever. But I think it's about challenging some of those admin processes to say, why are we doing this? And do we need to do it? Is it having the impact that we want? Is there a better 
the way of doing it. Um, but I think in terms of creating our skill set, it's actually not that difficult for us, but we've got to be interested in it. So I think the first skill we can develop is having better insight, being better at getting insight. And so, of course, sometimes we think that that means being data analysts, um, but it's more than numbers. This is about using a range of techniques to understand why people behave the way that they do. And we can do that through observing our people. We can do it by watching them on the job. I can remember with the BBC where we used to really struggle to get people to follow processes. Then when you actually go out and you see the role of someone, you know, who's actually on the news at 10 of course they're not going to want to do our process you know it doesn't make any sense to them in their day jobs so understanding what their real problems are how they're kind of challenging their day and we can also do focus groups we can do kind of pulse surveys of course we're seeing most people have moved away from the annual uh, engagement survey thank god but we can still do lots of short pulse surveys if there's particular questions we're interested in getting asked and getting managers to talk to their people and get feedback. So I think being better at getting insight is important. The next is having great facilitation skills. And again, this is it's not easy. Uh, in my view, it's very rare to see uh, great facilitation skills. I'm still learning myself. And this is not what I used to do was I would get managers in a room and I would train them to follow a process because that was my comfort blanket. I understood the process and I was asking them to do it. And this is not about training them to do a process. This is about creating environments where we can help them change their behaviours and build their skills. So, for example, we've got organisations like Western Union. So the HR team there facilitate groups of managers just talk about their talent. So no process, no nine box grid in sight, no paperwork, just let's just sit and have a conversation. And that's where the skill of the HR person comes in of challenging, prompting, asking someone who's really quiet for their input, you know, really getting people to kind of start talking more openly um, about their people. I think facilitation is also helping to break down those silos. So if you're a business partner, connecting your part of the business with the wider HR team. So because I can remember being in centre of expertise roles where you feel so disconnected to actually what the business is doing. So how you can kind of start to bring those gaps together and, you know, listening to your people. So the co-op, for example, have the HR team facilitate these sessions called the colleague voice. So employees are able to give their views on HR processes, what they like about working there, what they don't like about working there. So they can really listen to what they're saying. So I think great facilitation skills is something we can keep practicing. It's one of those skills that if you don't do it, it's it's really hard. And so you kind of have to put yourself out there a bit and actually you realise that you get better and better. Also, I think influence is really important for HR people. And I think we can do that quite easily by, well, one, being really passionate and knowledgeable about our business, not about HR necessarily, but about what is it our business is trying to achieve. Being really well networked and bringing outside in. So often I have HR people that approach me probably similar to you in your role where they may be looking for a new job and they want some coaching on what are the latest trends. You know, I'm doing my CV and I want to know what's going on. And I'm thinking, 
Why are you waiting until you're looking for a new job? This is what you're being paid to do. Your business is expecting you as the HR function to tell them what's going on in the outside world. What are the competitors doing? What are the progressive companies are doing? What's going on? So I think always being that person who's thinking about how you can bring in that expertise internally to kind of spread that inspiration is important. And then I think our final skill that we need to probably work on is design because we we need to create products that people want to use. And we can learn a lot from our marketing function, our product area. How can we uh, make sure that the products we're building are what our people are asking for based on their insight. How can we co-create? So I uh, think about IBM, who they wanted to change their approach to performance management. They went out with a very broad kind of concept of what it might look like or what they were trying to achieve. And then they just basically said to their people, tell us what you think. Uh, I think he got 18,000 responses overnight feedback. So that's how interested people are in, in what we do in HR. So I think co-creating with our leaders and our people is really important. Um, and then making sure that we're designing products that mean people can do things a bit more for themselves. I know I was guilty when we introduced HR systems. We just put all of our clunky processes into a beautiful brand new system and then wondered why no one wants to use it so I think we have to kind of really think back to how can we strip things out how can we make things much easier for our people how can we get rid of these why have we got this rule and why do they need to get that permission I think will help us in terms of again stopping our work from being so operational that's brilliant. Thank you for that rundown. Gosh, there's so much in there. I'm now trying to think what the best <laughs> thing is going to ask you about. But one of the things you mentioned that was great to hear you talking about, because I've just finished a whole series of episodes about it, is networking. Yeah. And being really well networked. So for anyone listening to this episode who maybe hasn't heard of HR Coffee Time before, I'd just like to encourage you to look back. There's a whole oh. series of episodes all about networking, but actually I'm not sure I have really emphasized what you have just talked about, which is that importance in knowing about industry trends and bringing that outside knowledge into the organization that you're working in right now. So I've touched on it, but I think you just articulated it brilliantly. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. And I loved also what you were saying about processes. Mm -hmm. I think especially if you're working for a large organization and one that's been around for a long time. Yeah. it's worrying how quickly you can slip into that mindset of oh yes well you you just have to fill in that form or that's the way yeah. oh my goodness if I hear those words well that's the way it's always done around here yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the point around well you could bring in this shiny new wonderful HR system but actually just using your old clunky processes that may not be fit for purpose anymore no. I isn't think necessarily a great idea but have you got any tips then I know that there are lots of people who will be that will be resonating with yeah thinking oh I know the processes aren't great but oh my gosh I'm so busy anyway and how do I even go about getting on top of this and changing it have you yeah. got any advice for someone in that situation yeah, because I mean, you know, I, I'm not talking about anarchy here. And I know there'll be lots of organisations that have very robust processes for a reason. But I would challenge 
some of them. So I think that when you're looking at something that you do, I think doing the trust test. So if you answer yes to the question, does this rule or policy exist because we don't trust some of our people to do it properly, then the chances are you are frustrating large numbers of your people that have no intention of doing anything wrong to try and stop a few rogues. And you're kind of covering your back. You know, it's that situation that doesn't really solve anything or stop any problems happening in the long run. So I think we tackle the people who we don't trust and we get rid of the rule wherever possible. And there may be small things. I mean, organisations we've worked with have just done really tiny things like they've said oh my god we've got the probation period and done some insight and we've realized that only you know two people a year fail the probation period so we're going to get rid of it that's a really nice easy quick win where you say let's assume that you've recruited these people and that you trust them why would they need to spend six months proving themselves to you um so get rid of it because it's a process it's something we end up chasing managers have you done your probation your employees or people are thinking for six months have i passed the test when you're not even thinking about it because you're assuming that they've passed so I think there are small things like that that you can do that's not, you know, it's not overnight, but just small little tweaks of things. So encouraging judgment. So look at some of your, maybe your long-winded policies where we do it for the right reason. Something happens and we think, oh, we better add that in because we can help the managers if that ever happens again. And you end up with this like 20-page policy. And that's the thing that's going to get you unstuck. If you do, unfortunately, ever end up in a tribunal, I've been in a few, you normally find that you end up falling short because you didn't follow your own internal process not because you were doing anything bad or wrong you you didn't follow a process and they've got you so I think strip out as much as you can keep your policies to kind of the real basic kind of ACAS code you know best practice and then try and encourage your people and managers to use their judgment so for example if you've got compassionate leave policy Do you really need a compassionate leave policy? Can you just say to managers, you know, you know your people, you know what's, you know, how important that person was to them, what's happened in their personal lives. Make a judgment about how long you're going to give them off. Or you know that that person's, um, unfortunately, their grandparents died, but their grandparent lives in a different country. So obviously you're going to give them a little bit more time using that kind of judgment rather than that horrible, like, what does the policy say? Because as I said at the beginning, you know, you it starts to help managers have to have these conversations with their people and start exercising their judgment, which is scary for them. But again, they will get better at it. Another example would be we have these return to work interviews. If you think about why we put them in was because we wanted managers to have conversations with people if they were off sick and to stop longer absences happening. And now we've created a process where you get a manager saying, oh, well, I've got to sit down and fill in this form for HR rather than, the, you know, I'm having a check in with you every week in my check in. You know, I know, t- you know, you were off on Mondays, everything OK. Is there anything that I can do? You know, you start getting it into much more of a human conversation. And then finally, look at it through their eyes. So ask yourself, how does this policy or process or rule make me feel? 
and then you'll probably get something more human if you think about it that way. And I love some of the examples that we're seeing with organizations. I think PepsiCo did it where it's called like the process shredder, where they just say to their people, what are the rules and policies that stop you from doing a great job and how can we get rid of them? And they give prizes for rules that they get rid of. So ask your people, ask your managers, what are the things that I'm making you do that are stopping you from time that you could be spending with your people, which is ultimately more important. That sounds brilliant. I haven't heard of the process shredder before. It's good, isn't it? Very simple. There is actually an app. I think it is called the process shredder. You can buy and it does it all for you. But I think actually the PepsiCo example, their number one most painful process was performance management. No surprise there, really. But I just think sometimes we just don't listen to our people enough. I'm not surprised to hear that that was the least favourite of all the processes (laughs) at all. But that's such a helpful answer. Thank you, Karen, because I know how overwhelming it can feel to sit there and think, I really want to make a positive change, if I think back to my previous HR role. But if you are really swamped and you have got all these processes and it can all just feel really daunting. So I love the fact that all of those tips you've shared there really are simple small steps that you can take it doesn't have to be this overwhelming huge amount of work that you have to tackle on your own absolutely not it's not a separate transformation project it's just you know I mean when we do workshops with HR teams we always end by saying what one thing are you going to do differently tomorrow and I think if we all took that mindset even every day and said right well one thing am I going to do differently or change that I can have influence over because we recognize that sometimes when you're in a HR role you are limited to what you can do but there will still be things that you do have control over that you can make a difference with and it might be something really small but give it a go absolutely well You have shared so much knowledge and so much value. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure. I think the next time anyone comes to me and says, Faye, I'm looking for a promotion or I want to move roles or I want to do better in the role I'm in, this is going to have to be my favourite episode to put forward for them because I'll often have people get in touch now, now that I'm a few months into the podcast and say, which one should I listen to if this is what I'm struggling with? So I'm pretty sure this episode is going to be useful for a whole range of issues. So thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure, Faye. It's lovely to talk to you. And it would be brilliant if you had a book that you wanted to recommend. I'll be very honest here. Lucy would be able to rattle off my business partner, loads of books. She's a real book reader. I'm not great on business books. Um, I prefer, I'm very visual and I prefer kind of, you know, um, watching YouTube videos or uh, reading really short articles. My attention span is not great. Uh, But I would say anything by Daniel Pink, I love. That's probably one of the one business books. So, you know, his old one, I think it's called Drive, about, you know, what what really secretly motivates people, I think is great for HR to understand what actually really does motivate us in our jobs. Um, uh, So anything by Daniel Pink. That's great. And that ties in brilliantly with your whole message of us trying to be more understanding. (laughs) (laughs) You you couldn't have chosen a better book, really. And yeah, for anyone listening who, like you, isn't a massive fan of reading books, 
he has done so much. He's got TED Talks. Yeah. If anyone subscribes to LinkedIn Premium, he's got courses on there and little modules where he talks about it as well. So there's a whole range of ways that you can listen yeah. to his words of wisdom. It is really interesting. Yeah. I've got Drive downloaded on Audible as one of my audio books, but oh. I don't think I've ever made it to the end. That's oh. not good, is it? <laughs> oh, well, that, I mean, tell me, I could give you loads of crime thrillers, anything that's really, I could, I could go on forever, but I've just never really been motivated by business books, just, you know, I mean, obviously, I'd have to say um, I should have actually said disrupt HR disrupted. So because Lucy's written uh, two books, <laughs> so she'll kill me. Uh, so, yeah, now can I go back and scrap? Oh, that? yes. Look, we'll just rewind. Yeah, yeah. HR disrupted by Lucy Adams. <laughs> written two books. So there's HR disruptive. What's the other one? It's called A Change Toolkit. By Lucy Adams that's her book number two so the first one is much more around kind of you know things I've talked about the each model about how we kind of turn HR on its head and then the second book is much more practical right okay so I get the I've had the mindset shift I get what you're saying now how do I do it so it's much more around kind of practical support to make the changes well, they sound like wonderful resources to have mentioned right at the end. <laughs> That's brilliant. Thank you so much. And for anyone listening who thinks, oh, this has been great. I would really like to get in touch with Karen or to learn more about the work that Disruptive HR does. What's yeah. the best way of them doing that? I mean, if you go on to our, just type in disruptivehr.com, you can sign up there to get our weekly emails. And we're not hard sell. It will be a blog that Lucy you might have written or some content that we might be giving away from the club or it might be a podcast like this so it's worth signing up for for, for that so yeah so just go on to our disruptivehr.com site and you can see everything we've got to offer yes I get your weekly emails and I love the fact that they're beautifully designed they don't oh, yeah. feel really corporate at all uh, well that's uh, we've got a great marketing team well thank you so much it's been absolutely wonderful to have you on the podcast and I hope that we get to catch up again soon oh me too Faye lovely to talk to you I really hope that you enjoyed hearing from Karen I know that I did if she's got you thinking about what you'd like to change and achieve for the year ahead in 2022 remember that you can use my free downloadable HR planner to help you plan out and achieve your goals there's also a hardback version available to buy now and I'll put links to both of them in the show notes or if you'd like to know more just drop me an email at hello at brightskycareercoaching.co.uk have a great week. If you're listening to this the week it goes live, I hope you're managing to start winding down in time for the Christmas break. And I will be back again with the next episode next week. Bye for now.